Postal Service is moving ahead with plans to both increase mailing prices and slow down delivery for nearly 40% of its first-class mail. Talk about doing less with more. It's a one-two punch that some of its biggest customers warn will accelerate the decline in mail volume. USPS says they'll boost efficiency and save money. And you can guess what Congress thinks. We get the latest from Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Jory, let's start with the specific changes they are looking to do here, the Postal Service. Just to recap here, the Postal Service is looking at increasing its rates by nearly 7% for its mail products. And what that really means for the average consumer is that's going to be a $0.03 increase for its postage stamps. So going from $0.55 to $0.58. And, you know, $0.03 here, $0.03 there, that doesn't look like a whole lot. But the Postal Service expects that once this gets going, it'll bring in $1.7 billion annually with this new increase. That's more than a 4% increase in its total revenues. And, you know, in terms of what the slowdown is going to look like for the average consumer, the Postal Service is looking to slow down 40% of first-class mail, just like you said. But in terms of what that will actually mean, USPS will deliver 21% of its current mail volume in four days and 10% in five days, and the remainder would still be within its current one to three day window. And by the way, we're talking first class mail increases. Is that also an increase for commercial mail, advertising material, and also periodical mail? Or are they simply talking about first class stamps? It'll it'll be an across the board increase for all of those products, but the numbers, the, the percentage increase will be different depending on your class of mail here. And other than guessing that they hate it, what has Congress had to say about these proposed changes? Well, they haven't been happy about it. And on a bipartisan basis, they haven't been happy about it. Two members of the House Oversight and Reform Committee, Congressman Glenn Grothman and Jerry Connolly, have written a letter and led some other colleagues in asking the Postal Service to push back this pricing increase to January of 2022, saying, on one hand, this is a really tough time for small businesses that depend on the Postal Service to move their merch around, coming right off of the pandemic and trying to stave off those economic pains that they've been experiencing. And on the other hand, the Postal Service, they say, is not really hard up for cash. The Postal Service ended May of this year with more than $22 billion cash on hand, and it has already spent the $10 billion that Congress gave it in COVID relief funds. So the way they're seeing it, the Postal Service is is well-equipped to come out of this pandemic, and small businesses are not. And what did the Postal Service tell Congress in response? The Postal Service says that overall, you know, again, they're really looking forward to that doom revenue, that $1.7 billion annually. They said they're going to keep going with the plan. They're not going to wait until January of 2022 to implement it. And that they told the members of Congress that mail volume will only increase by a little over 2% annually. And so when they weigh the risk versus the reward here, the reward really weighs out. And so they said, sorry, but we're going to move ahead with this because the benefits weigh out. Thank you very much and uh, keep licking those stamps. All right. And what about the inspector general? They have been weighing in on all aspects of postal operations lately pretty heavily. What does the inspector general say? They have been an unusually busy inspector general office these days. The office of the inspector general is asking Congress for $17 million, not for this coming year, but for fiscal 2023 to look at the impact of these service changes, uh, particularly to the first class mail. And what's interesting here is that 
Postmaster General Louis DeJoy has cited the Inspector General and its reports as kind of the basis for his 10-year reform plan, these kind of austerity measures and these belt-tightening things, saying it's going to cut costs, it's going to increase efficiency. But we heard the Inspector General herself, Tammy Whitcomb, tell Congress that these kinds of changes that are being put on the table may not save money in the long run here. Large network changes are complex in nature, and there's a risk that implementation could result in regional or widespread service issues. Our work has revealed that when the Postal Service implements network changes, it often has not been able to realize the projected cost savings, even when service was reduced. And that's Postal Service Inspector General Tammy Whitcomb. And we're speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. And there's still another party that gets to weigh in on all of this, and that is the Postal Regulatory Commission. Jory, what are they saying here? Well, this is going to be a bit of a dogpile moment, but the PRC is saying that this plan, this plan to slow down the mail service here, won't result in much improvement, if any, that's their words, to improve the Postal Service's current financial conditions. So saying that they're going to implement these changes, these hard-to-swallow changes for the public, and it won't even really deliver much good. That's a tough thing for the commission to say, and that is their consensus opinions. Individual members had even harsher things to say. PRC Chairman Michael Kubianda said the plan was underdeveloped and said the proposal was overall disappointing. And Commissioner Ashley Poling, who was a former staffer for the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, said that USPS, based on what they sent in here, should press pause and return to the drawing board. So, you know, those are some tough words to hear. But in the end, it doesn't really impact the Postal Service's decision making here. The commission's advisory opinion is just that, advisory, and the Postal Service is free to implement these changes. The Postal Service, for what it's worth, did tell me that they are reviewing the PRC's opinion and that they are looking at that as they're moving forward. And they're putting it in a dead letter box, probably, because it's just amazing. Over the years, nobody's ever happy with the Postal Service, but nobody's ever happy with anything they propose to change. So I don't know how they get out of this. And what about the workforce? There are in the plans that DeJoy has laid out a lot of workforce change plans. Any update there? Yeah, it may sound a little early. Here we are talking in July, but the Postal Service is already ramping up for its peak holiday season at the end of the year. And in preparation for that, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, he told employees that he plans to hire 40,000 seasonal workers. And what's interesting here is he's looking to convert 33 current non-career employees to career status. And that is a point of his 10-year plan that we are now getting some more details on with him telling us about this. And he said that the real plan there is that that would reduce employee turnover. We want to ensure that we have every available current employee in place. Your presence is important during the crucial peak time frame. We will need all hands on deck. And that is Postmaster General Louis DeJoy. And just looking at very topical issues here, what about the mask mandate for Postal Service? That's sort of a bold stroke, isn't it, relative to the rest of the government? Yeah, it might seem like old news compared to where the rest of the federal workforce is, but the Postal Service, as of July 16, issued its own mandate saying that vaccinated employees, employees who are fully vaccinated against COVID-19, are free to take off their masks in the workplace. Now, that's a, a far cry from 
the two months ago when OMB sent its own memo around saying that the rest of the federal workforce, if they were fully vaccinated, could do so. And so I did reach out to the Postal Service to explain why they had their own separate timeline here. Uh, especially at a time where now the Biden administration is looking at implementing masks again for the rest of the federal workforce and haven't quite heard back an answer from them just yet on that. Well, the people that are worried that the mail coming into their home can harbor showers of COVID bacteria will have new reason to worry, I guess. No, even a, a year ago, the Postal Service was quick to point out that transmission on services is next to nothing. And so from their perspective on things, not much of a worry. Only unless you're paranoid, and there's plenty of those out there. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Be sure to check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, 
We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up. Uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right. And you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. 
and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.